Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. I just want to share a couple quick testimonies uh, that I'm going to read and I'm going to share the message. But uh, our, our dear friend Bill Byers, who was with us, winter that was about a month and a half ago, has uh, been doing a series of meetings up and through Nebraska and uh, Bill's just a papa to us, and, and uh, in fact, Kelly and I, uh, the weekend that the kids are up at youth camp, uh, Kelly and I are going to be going and spend the weekend with him and Faye, and so we're looking forward to that. But when he was here with me, he shared he had two different dreams about a series of meetings the Lord was calling him to do in Nebraska uh, with some spiritual sons he had there and connections, and part of what it was is was to enter into this level of uh, hands wide open, like no agenda to say, God, you're sending me, have your way, do what you want to do. And so uh, because of that, there's been a series of things that God's taking place. I'm just going to share a few of those testimonies. Um, it's talking about the, how everyone in attendance has been flooding the altars to be prayed for. No one was resistant. One man testified that all the pain was gone from a tumor in his abdomen, and he could no longer find the tumor by pressing on his abdomen. He also took off his hearing aids and said that he could hear me perfectly, and I wasn't even using a mic at the time. Many tears of gratitude were poured out of his heart and down to his face, and all he could say was, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Holy Spirit gave me a word that a lady had bone marrow cancer in one of the meetings. She was shocked that I had said that and, in fact, was being treated for bone marrow cancer. She was so filled with joy and laughter. The, the side note to this is she was an unbeliever and was very antagonistic to Jesus, but somebody brought her. She left laughing with such joy and could not wait to come to the meeting the following night. There were several more that came from Lincoln, Nebraska, that were deeply touched, healed from emotional traumas, and told us they were coming back with their adult children. It's been an incredible blessing. He says, I purpose in my heart to not pump anything up or anybody up, but instead just told the team to relax and enter his presence for themselves first and allow him to love them. On purpose, I did not prepare any messages beforehand, just waited for his anointing to quicken and his heart message in the service. He, uh, he just had me read Psalm 103, 1 through 2, which if you know last week, what God was doing during that time was the exact same thing. I read Psalm 103.3 to you guys, and God just did some cool things. So he's doing something in sync with that. He just began to pour out specific phrases and meanings and impact and applied them today. Saw many, many different healings exploding all over the place. Um, another, um, here it is, Thursday night a couple came. The man came in a wheelchair. His lungs were riddled with cancer, and he had not been able to walk in three months. He had been bedridden for those three months. Holy Spirit moved me in the middle of service to go and pray for him and ask him if he wanted prayer, and he did. Faye, who's Bill's wife, and I started praying, and the fire of God hit his lungs. He began to take deep breaths and started weeping. He said he wanted to stand up and get out of his wheelchair, so we helped him to stand. Then he wanted to try and walk. Now, I've got a video. It would be too hard to do right now. But in this video, the sanctuary they're at is easily as wide as this. And this man just starts walking back and forth on the front of it immediately after this. The next night, the that same couple returned, and he walked into the building normally. So come on now. That's so good. Last... Uh, Last night, uh, Faye received a strong baptism and was so, so drunk in the spirit. She, uh, Bill poured oil on her hands and had her pray for everyone who came to the altar. Uh, a strong flow of healing and blessing. He says it's too many to be able to account for how much was released. 
Um, one final testimony. This is just a series of a few meetings. An uh, elderly lady had completely torn and detached her rotator cuff. She'd gone to the doctor, and he told her there was nothing he could do because there was nothing to attach uh, it back to. So she needed to have a shoulder replacement surgery. But the Holy Spirit created a new rotator cuff, and she's completely healed. Come on, man. That's to, that, you don't know how we got the New Testament? The apostles were going around, things were happening, and they begin to write letters and say, now share this with the churches in your city as a testimony of what God is doing. Right? That's the whole book of Acts. And so we know that God's going to do some greater things. So just real quick, if you have a rotator cuff issue, would you just stand up for me real quick? I don't know if there's anybody here, but we're going to take that. All right, Justin, anybody else? we got multiple people. Okay. Anybody who's dealing with cancer right now or a potential diagnosis, would you also stand up? Okay, I'm going to stand up in place. My mom is going to have a biopsy on uh, Wednesday. Uh, she had had cancer taken out previously, and there's a sore coming back. Also, anybody that's got a family member that is bedridden and can't get up and get up and has lung issues with anybody like that, stand up. Okay, so here's what we're just going to do. Yeah, if there's more, stand up. We're just going to pray and say, God, what you've already been doing, do it in here. Right? And so let's just receive it. So if you're interceding, I want you just to receive as if you were in the place of, because Jesus hung in your place on the cross, and he was able to accomplish it. So, Father, right now, we just read these testimonies, and we say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done there in Nebraska, but we say, do it here again, Lord God. We just pray right now, Lord, for torn rotator cuffs, and we, we just ask for creative miracles, a reattaching creative miracles where there's no surgery that is needed, that any of the scar tissue that needs to be cleaned up is automatically cleaned up, and there's a full functionality return, Lord, to these shoulders, Lord God. We pray right now for those who who are standing in the place of those with cancer, and we just command cancer to die now in the name of Jesus. We just say that what you've already done once, you're going to do again, and that cancer cannot stay in the place that Jesus has shown up. So Jesus, show up in those bodies right now. And Lord, we just ask those who are bedridden, those who are, are chronically ill and can't even get out of bed, Lord, right now, we just say, just like that testimony of the man, uh, those with lung issues, would you just burn us with your fire, Lord God, right now? Would you fill us with your spirit? Your liquid love would get, begin to pour into every cell within the body right now. And we strengthen ourselves and we strengthen these people in the Lord. Because, God, that's what you do when you show up. You are the great physician. You are the healer. And you said to expect even greater things. So we thank you, God, that these are only the beginning of the things you're going to do that are greater. And we declare this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen, amen, amen. Come on now. So here's what's going to be important. If you receive healing or you have a family member that receives healing, we want you to begin to be actively sharing your testimonies, okay? So you can email prayer at legacymb.com or you can go on our website to the prayer page. There's a place for you to type in your testimony. We want to begin to catalog, not just so we have a history of revival, which is important, but we want to be able to share the testimonies of what God is doing now, not just what he did 2,000 years ago, but what's he doing right now, so that we can encourage people, build up their faith, and allow them to be able to enter into something. And so you have a great responsibility to steward your testimony or steward the testimony of those you know who are getting healed. Amen? Because what was the result of that one woman? She, she was antagonistic to Jesus and was an unbeliever, and now she believes. All right? So we're going to see awakening take place. 
Because every time that Jesus did a miracle, it was a testimony of who he was. And there was those who were added to the family. The Lord would begin to add those daily to those who believe because of the miracles that he was doing. And we believe we're going to see even greater things. Amen? So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to one passage of Scripture. It's going to be 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And this is a message that's burned in my heart for a couple different years. Um, but I knew this morning especially that this is what he wanted to go with because there's, there's a necessity and a need for the restoration of men in our society and our culture. That a lot of the thing that we see the attack on the children of the society, whether that, that be that's through the, the, uh, the, some of the heinous ideology that's moving around, that's stealing from them their destiny or, their, or as, a, as a male or female or some of the other things that are going on, uh, that it comes from the fact that men have not been standing in the place who God has created them to be within society, right? And so we know that God wants to do something through this place uh, with fathers. And here's the thing. If you're not today a father, you don't have children, you, you need to understand this. When I talk about fathers, I'm not just talking about your ability to biologically reproduce and have a child. What I'm talking about is God's design for men was always to be fathers regardless if they have natural children or spiritual children. How do I know this? He made Adam in the image of the Father. He made Adam in the image of the Father. So there was supposed to be a reproduction of the Father's heart, vision, who he is to the world. Um, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen who? So, so what does the enemy work double time to do? Distort the image of the Father for 50, 60 years. He used a great war in World War II to kill off a great generation of men. He used the Korean War. He used Vietnam as opportunity. And this, understand, this is not politics. We have to go higher than the politics and understand what was the intention of the enemy. It was to destroy men from the ability to be fathers who are wholehearted fathers, wholehearted leaders, wholehearted representatives of who the Father God is in that place. And it's time now that we return back to the place of, instead of being, being shown like we're uh, Al Bundy from Married with Children, a bumbling fool who only thinks about sex, who doesn't know how to treat his wife, who doesn't know how to treat his children, who, who's always down, like, I mean, like, that is the image that media has had uh, an agenda for years and years and years to display men as bumbling idiots. And what I'm here to tell you is the father goes, I didn't create bumbling idiots. I created sons who would be my image. There's a restoration that's taken place that's unique to men. And yes, he is restoring women to the fullness of who they are. You want to know what the Me Too movement was? It was the byproduct of men not understanding who they are that produced toxic relationships. But you go ask my wife right now. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm married to a powerful wife. She's beautiful. She's in the nursery right now. 
She's, she's powerful. She's beautiful. She's smarter than I am in so many different ways. She's more capable than I am in so many different ways. And yet we've become one in a way that's allowed her to be her, fully who she is, not at the expense of me. And vice versa, I've been allowed to become who I am as a powerful man and not at the expense of her so that we walk in unity, we walk in wholeness so that the Father is demonstrated, but so is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. And we, the bride, are, are calling us into a place of relationships. But it's going to first begin with men. This, this, this story we're going to read in, in 1 Samuel 30 is kind of funny 10 years ago, probably, well before the Me Too movement and well before all the other stuff that kind of hit the scene, this would have been considered today a, a story of authentic manhood and like, yeah, celebrated. Today, it's almost seen as toxic masculinity because it's like, well, why do the women and the kids need the guys? They need the guys to come rescue. I just want you to, to really take that cap off for a second. Don't see it through the cultural lens of all the crap that's being put out in social media, through the government, all through the society right now, and go back to your mind of Christ and read this thing with the authenticity of who God designed men, women, and children to be. And you're going to see something spiritually that God is going to do. I believe this message is going to be, become a prophetic word about the things that are about to come. But it's going to be important for guys to step back into this place. Just to kind of give you an idea, just real quick before I launch into this. A couple weeks ago, I, I introduced the concept, and I'm developing this thing out on a greater level. And one of, one of the conversations with the Lord was, how do we operate in the authentic identity of who you made us to be? Now, what that looks like is there's multiple phases of identity that you can operate in as a, as a born-again believer. One of those is a son or a daughter. One of those is as a bride. And one of those is as a friend. Now, there's more of those out there, but these are the three primary ones. And as I was praying for this message this morning, really to have an understanding, kind of had some revelation when I was on the floor during worship. And so here's what the Lord says. It's important for every man to know what it is to be a son to a healthy father. He says in Psalm 68 that he's the father to the fatherless, and he puts the abandoned ones, the orphan ones, into families, into homes. Why? Because it's so important, it's so important that this generation, especially, we're just talking about men right now, understand how it is to be a son underneath a healthy father. Because in that place, you begin to have a development of who you are, the protection of, man, I don't have to figure this out on my own. My father has things figured out. My father can tell me who I am. My father provides for me. My father protects me. My father helps give me wisdom. My father gives me vision for where I'm going. I don't have to figure out who I'm supposed to be in this world. And I don't have to ask the culture or the government or the world to tell me who I am because my father fully can tell me who I am. But because, because before I was knit in my mother's womb, my father knew me. It's important that any man understands what it is to be a son first. And likewise, ladies, that you'll understand what it is to be a daughter. The next one is a bride. What's interesting about the bride is the bride has intimate connection. 
It's important that every man understands how to be the bride of Christ because in that place of a bride of Christ, you see where John the Beloved becomes John the Beloved. John was a son of thunder, just like his brother. And at the very beginning, he was ready to call fire down from heaven for those that were talking smack about Jesus. He says, hey, we know we got authority now. Come on, let's just take him out. And Jesus is like, no, 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 slow your roll. He just begins to say, it's okay, you have this zeal, you have this passion, my son. But there's got to be this point where you understand not just what it means to be a son that inherits, but you actually become the wife of Jesus. And in this place of intimacy, you become beloved. So you can love people the way Jesus loves them. A son cannot love people the way that Jesus loves them because a son is actually the fruitfulness of covenant. But when you as a man begin to come and understand what it is to be beloved and what do you have access to according to your husband? You begin to understand in this place of covenant, in this place of intimacy, I don't have to strive, I don't have the rest, but now I actually have authority to enact change in the world. But it's from this place of covenant, of intimacy and worship that you begin to develop this thing. I would just propose to you that John the Beloved was living out the identity of the bride of Christ better than anyone at that time. And then we have this idea of, okay, so we're now supposed to go do something. Kind of feels weird if you're a dude in the house, say, dude. <clears throat> Let's try that again. Thank you. Count of three. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Okay. It's kind of weird to think about yourself being a bride. I get that. So, ugh. It's okay to go, ugh. But come into alignment with the reality of intimacy is the point. What do you have access to the heart of God? He opens his heart fully to you and doesn't withhold something from you. Let me say this. There are things that I have, my wife and I have access to that our kids will never have access to. And they're my kids and they inherit things from me. But there's things that are only meant for my wife and I to know and to live out and to enjoy. Do you get what I'm saying? So you have to move from that position of a child into a place of one who's beloved and intimate. So therefore, you can move on to the third one is that, the friend of God. I've been realizing this as I've been praying, okay, God, so what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father? He says this, fathers are my friends who know how I will live and interact with the world. My friends are the ones I'm sending into the world. How do I know this to be true? Jesus says, I no longer call you servants or slaves. I call you my friends. And as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I've got some friends in this room right now that I would trust my kids with. No doubt. I might be related to a few of them. But it's from that place of friendship, not legality that I trust them wholeheartedly. And what I would say is this place of maturing as a man, as a father is this. 
I moved from this place as a child where I know I don't have to work for affection. I don't have to work for identity. He gives me my identity. Then in this place as a bride, I work in this place and I'm able to rest in the fact that I'm fully his and he's fully mine. There's level of oneness and intimacy. And I learn to love the way that Jesus loved. And then from this place, it's now time to be a friend that takes what I've learned in this place and actually carry it out to the world. Every person that you pray for is to be as a friend of God, not as a son of God, not as the bride of Christ. It's to be as the friend of God who's shown up, who knows how to do business in, his, in your friend's name. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus was about his father's business. Those miracles we just talked about that I read from Pastor Bill, from Papa Bill, they're, they're not because Bill is fantastic, although he is. It's because Bill understands how to surrender to his friend. And it was his friend that healed the man filled with cancer. It was, the, it was Bill's friend, Jesus, who actually helped that guy get out of the wheelchair and start walking. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was Bill's friend, the father, who actually reached to that antagonistic woman, demonstrated healing, a, 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 a type of word of knowledge, and said, hey, you've got this. And she's like, how did you know that? It was the friend talking to Bill through Bill. Do you hear what I'm saying? So in order for us to become fathers, we still have to become friends. This is friendship. So let's look at 1 Samuel. I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the whole story. We're going to read through the whole chapter here up to verse 27, and then I'm going to unpack it real quick for you guys. So just so you know, for context of this story, David has already been anointed as king, at this point in his life, Saul is mad at him and trying to chase him down. So David takes some of his mighty men, and he's able to go and find refuge with the Philistines. And there's a Philistine king or leader who gave him a whole city called Ziklag. And David actually would fight some of the enemies of this king and was faithful in that process. And so uh, David and his mighty men had just gone away, fought an enemy, and in verse 1, they're coming back from war to discover something in their city of Ziklag. So it says this, David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amicalites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned down Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the oldest. They killed no one but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned down. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. And David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength to weep. I'll just say this. It's time for men to begin with weeping over the fact that our sons and our daughters and our, and our wives have been kidnapped by the enemy. Starting in this place of going, realize what's going on in our culture, we have responsibility for. I'm not, not shame, no guilt, no condemnation, not from that place. But what, what I'm saying is, if I'm Jesus' solution to the culture, I can't blame the government. I can't blame education. I can't get into the blame game. I have to get into a place of responsibility. Not blame, responsibility. Blame keeps me out of responsibility. But, but when I come in this place and say, as a man in the kingdom who's a father, who's a husband, I have responsibility for what's happening out there in our culture. And I don't need to go on social media and blast everybody. I need to get into this place and actually mourn the fact that something's been stolen. 
Because until I deal with that, I will never deal with the disappointment that something's been stolen. And then, therefore, my actions are born out of revenge, not out of restoration. You have to get before the Lord. It says, until they had no strength left. Have you ever had those moments where you just cried and you had no strength left and you just passed out of sleep because you cried so much you had no more strength left? That's what happened here. You know what it's talking about? They took all their human strength, all their human strategy, all their human emotions, and they poured it out to the Lord until there was nothing left of them. So the only solution they had now is to go to the Lord. And it took a father, David, which, by the way, David was not always the greatest dad in the world. He was dysfunctional in so many different ways. But in this moment, he understands how to be a father to his troops, how to be a father to his wives, how to be a father to his children, how to be a father to the people in there. And look what happens. Because David's two wives um, had also been kidnapped. So David was in a difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and their daughters. But listen what it says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Another translation, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Verse 7, And David said to Abathur the priest, son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Let me say the ephod. The, the ephod or the ephod was the very first uh, priestly garment that God commanded Moses to create for, for Aaron the high priest. Before they had the breastplate, before they had other things, there was this, this woven garment. It had a lot of different stuff. It had stones on it. But it was the very first priestly garment that he created for the high priest. Now, David's not the high priest. But he is the king who is a priest of his home. And in this place, he realizes, I've poured out all my strength to the Lord. Now I've come to the Lord and I've allowed him to strengthen me. What, is, what does that look like? If the joy of the Lord is my strength, maybe he reminded himself, God, I remember when I was in the, uh, the, the pasture of my father and that lion came to steal or to kill one of the sheep. And I just, I, I, what did I do? I didn't have the strength to do that, but the Lord strengthened him and he was able to literally take that lion and rip its jaws apart. That is manly. Come on. That, that is a cool story. I, I, think, I think David reminded himself, it doesn't matter how big the enemy looks like. It doesn't matter what the enemy has done. It doesn't matter what his plans are. I need to take my eyes off of what the enemy is doing, and I need to return myself to the Lord so I can find strength and strengthen myself into the Lord. Men, let me tell you, it's okay to be strong. I don't care what culture has told you that, it's, that you can't be strong, that that's toxic masculinity. No, toxic masculinity is when you act like an orphan and use your strength to hurt people. But authentic masculinity is you're strong and use your strength to care for people, to cover for people, to fight for people, to lift people up. That is manhood. And what I feel like the Lord is doing is during COVID and kind of that time, he returned us to this place of intimacy. We couldn't meet like we wanted to before. It looked differently across the body of Christ. And part of that word during that time was is we needed to learn how to just to get with God one-on-one -on -one and restore this place of intimacy. What was that? That was the bride coming back to her first love. But what is he doing now? Arise and shine, O oh men. 
Yes, ladies, this is for you too. But this is Father's Day, and daggum it, I'm going to go after the men. You will become powerful, ladies. You will. You don't need your man to be powerful for you to be powerful. The Lord is powerful. But let me tell you what. God has designed your husband or your father or maybe a friend in this way to actually be the representation of what strength looks like so you can authentically be you and you can be as powerful as you need to be because there's cover. See, God is restoring something to the men. Let me not get off track here. So the ephod, bring me the ephod. David calls out, bring it to me. I'm just going to read the story. I told you I'd read it and then I'd preach, so I'm, I'm preaching right so Abiathar brought it to David, and he asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? The Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake you, take them and rescue the people. Verse 9, David and the 600 men with him went as far as Besor, the, it's a brook, where 200 men who were to remain behind would stop. They stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the brook. David and 400 of the men continued in pursuit, and they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to the drink. Then they gave him some figs and two clusters of raisins. As he ate it, he was revived, for he hadn't eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, who do you belong to? Where are you from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amicalite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the, I can't even say that name, the territory of Judah, in the south country of Caleb, where we burned down Ziklag. David then asked him, will you lead me to these raiders? He said, swear to me by God that you won't kill me or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led them where the Amicalites spread out over the entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight to the evening of the next day, and none of them escaped except for 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything. Let me hear you say, David recovered everything. What's the prophetic word? We're going to recover everything. We're going to recover everything. We're going to recover everything the enemy had taken. We have to live with that type of faith. We're going to recover everything the Amicalites had taken. He also rescued two, the two, his two wives. Nothing of theirs, listen to this, was missing from the youngest to the eldest. None of, the, of theirs. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and the daughters. That also includes all the sheep, all the livestock, all the economic wealth of David at Ziglog. And of all the plunder the Amicalites had taken, David got back everything. He took all the sheep, all the cattle, which were driven ahead of the other livestock, and people shouted, this is David's plunder. When David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him, um, I'm sorry about that, who had been too exhausted to go with them when they were left at Besor, they came out and met him and met the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those, um, excuse me, who had gone with David, argued, because they didn't go with us, we will not give any of the plunder we recovered to them except each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But listen to what David says. This is what a father does. It's not about revenge. It's about restoration. 
But David said, my brothers, you must not do that came out of the Lord's victory. He protected us and handed, us to the ra- uh, handed over to us the raiders who had come against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it's been so from that day forward, for David established this as policy in a law and ordinance for Israel that continues to this very day. Verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, he, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here's a gift for you, the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent gifts to those in Bethel and it continues on basically all over the country where he had actually had influence or he had been. So it's a story of restoration. And the restoration wasn't just about David's restoration, but it was actually about a nation, an area, and a region that what was taken was actually fully restored. See, God is doing something. How do we know how to step into this, guys? Number one, David found strength in the Lord. He, he learned to deal with his disappointment. You're going to have to deal with your disappointment. You're going to have to come to the place where you can be raw and authentic for the Lord. Any, any uh, unforgiveness you have, deal with it. Any disappointment in the father you had or didn't have, deal with it. Any, any disappointment with how your life has gone up to this point and things happened that shouldn't have happened or things didn't happen you thought should happen, deal with it. Time to deal with disappointment by strengthening yourself in the Lord. We always say it's time to go get a ladder at Home Depot and climb over it. Get over it. But stop using it as an excuse for you not to be a man. And take responsibility for what God's doing in your family, in this city, in this state, this nation, in the world. It's time. Arise and shine, men. Rise inside, friends of God. When we were singing that one song, we was talking about, we're, we are captured by your beauty. The king is here captured by your beauty. The areas that the enemy has captured you by, it's time to be captured by the Lord in it. It's time to invite the real strong man in, and that's Jesus. So get wholehearted. Deal with your disappointment. Deal with forgiveness, and get ready for the next. Number two, David acted as a priest before he acted as a warrior. David acted as a priest before he acted as a warrior. He automatically calls for the ephod. There's several different places in Scripture where David actually, it says, and David called for the ephod and inquired of the Lord what he was to do. David understood that he was first a worshiper. He was first a priest unto the Lord, that he knew that he had to come before the Lord before he could actually act on his own to go carry out transformation. Which is funny, if the Lord would have told him not to go after his kids and his wives, he would have obeyed. And that wouldn't have seemed like a human good idea plan. But the point is, he inquired, am I supposed to go after them or not? He got before the Lord. And what I'm telling you is right now, in order to become a, a, a father to the fatherless, in order to become a man, a father who understands how to operate, you first must become a priest in your own home. You say, well, I don't know how to pray out loud. I don't care. I don't care if you know how to pray. That's religious. Open your mouth and bless your children. Open your mouth and bless your wife. Open your mouth and say, Jesus, thank you. He doesn't need beautiful prayers that are scripted out. He needs your heart that pours out and surrenders to him. 
Did you understand that he designed you to actually be an entry point for God into your family? What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? has nothing to do with I get to tell people what to do and not to do. That's a misunderstanding of authority. Instead, my responsibility is says, God, if we're going to go anywhere, it has to be with you. So I'm going to open my heart up and I'm going to pray to you until you come and you move. I become the worship leader in my home. I become the prayer leader in my home. You want to know why God's doing, this is not about me, but I just want to give you a testimony. You want to know why God is doing what he's doing here? Because in my home, guess what I do? This. I happen to play guitar. I can pull out the guitar and we just worship. And all of a sudden I walk in and there seems like there's been crazy life going on or frustrations at school or work. Doesn't matter. Pick up my guitar and I worship and invite his presence to come in. You're like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a musician. There's something called the internet. Get Spotify, get YouTube, get whatever. Play worship. It's interesting that, that God said in the last days, I'm not going to restore the tabernacle of Moses. I'm going to restore the tabernacle of David. You know what David did? He broke all the rules and all the laws. He took the Ark of the Covenant. He created a single tent, a single room, and he told all the priests, worship around this thing 24, seven days a week. It broke the law, and God didn't kill him. Which is interesting, when they were bringing it into, the first time into Jerusalem, they had this cart. They didn't do it to the prescribed legal way, but they're bringing this cart, and all of a sudden, the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant starts to fall over, and a guy who had a good intention tries to study the Ark of the Covenant, and he drops dead. Well, why is that? Because man-made ideas on how to handle the presence of God will never lead you to what God's trying to do. We have to surrender ourselves fully to him. But then when he brings it back in, what ends up happening? Jerusalem, worship, Jerusalem prospers. Israel prospers. There's no enemy that could stand up against them, and it was because David first knew how to be the priest of his home. So here's my charge to you, man. I'm going on sabbatical starting tomorrow. I won't be back until the 27th of July. Shipping. You know what I'm going to be doing? Praying. You know what I'm going to be doing? Getting before the Lord and allowing him to restore me and to strengthen me. Not because I'm weak, but because I realize even in my strength, I'm weak compared to his strength. Yeah. I'm telling you, we're negotiating for building space. We're asking the Lord to show us a spot. This place is not big enough for what the Lord wants to do. And this has nothing to do with Legacy Church. This has everything to do with the people that live in this city. I'm just going to tell you, David going back to get his wives and his children, that was part of his motivation, but it wasn't his full motivation. It was to restore his whole city, all the children, all, everything that was stolen in his city. That was the motivation to go before the Lord. That was the motivation to go and restore and renew. Let me give you another time where the ephod shows up in 1 Samuel. Don't turn there, but 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. says, David said to Ahimelech, the high priest, do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or weapon since the king's mission was urgent. 
Verse 9, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. And David replied, there's none like it, give it to me. He was first a priest before he became a warrior. But because he knew how to get behind the veil, he knew how to go into the presence of the Lord. On the other side of that is where he found his weapons. This is where he found the strategy in order to be able to go and heal and restore. And so he got the weapon of of, uh, Goliath, whom he cut off his head at the previous time. We need to understand this, that Jesus, we no longer have an ephod in our time frame because Jesus is the ephod. What do we put on? Jesus. What do we put on? Jesus. God is restoring man to the place of healthy and kingdom influence, and it begins as your priests of your own home. Number three, a component of God's plan to the transformation of the world is men being restored to the place God designed them. This only happens when you become a son who's fa- uh, become sons who fathers a friend of God. This only happens, I talked a lot about at the beginning, it only happens when you become a son who fathers as a friend of God. So what do you need to do right now? Start discovering what it means to be a son. What do you have access to? What has God given you as your inheritance? What is he wanting to take you into a deeper place? He's wanting to restore you. And this is, again, not about men over women or women over men and any of that baloney. This is all about men becoming who God created them to be. This is about women becoming who God created them to be in unity together. And it will only happen when men discover what it means to be an authentic man in the kingdom. Because he wants to transform the planet. And finally, number four, God is restoring his design for men so they can release them into society. Let's just look at the result, the fruit. When David went through this process, it frees the bride of Christ to be fully herself. It actually will free the people of God. When the men of God become sons and fathers, what ends up happening is it frees up the entirety of the bride to fully become authentically who God made them to be. It frees women to be powerful who God made them to be. It frees sons and daughters from the orphan spirit. And it releases kingdom wealth and resources regardless of the world's system. Now, I'm not saying there's not wisdom in and, and storing up or doing Patriot Supply or any of the other stuff that's out there and having food on hand. But let me tell you this. Don't plan for the economy to crash because you're afraid of it and you don't know what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Kind of sounds like Matthew when Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. But what? Seek first the king and his kingdom. I just have this in my mind that we're going to walk in the favor of the Lord in such a way that despite what the the economy of the world is doing, maybe this is the turning point where it's been prophesied a long time, but just like what happened with Israel, who once were captive by Egypt, but then the wealth of Egypt went with them out when they were set free. This is not about prosperity for the sake of prosperity. What I'm telling you is, how was a whole nation of people going to establish the promised land of the fullest? It took resources. And when he released slaves into this level of freedom, what ended up happening is he released the wealth of the wicked into their hands so they could employ it for the work of setting up the promised land to become what it was designed to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
That requires wisdom. That requires insight. Where do you get that? When you pray, you can handle kingdom resources. If you know who you are in Christ, you can handle ungodly mammon. So I just want to break off this idea that says the economy is going to crash and that means the church is, is up a creek without a paddle. No, that's what the world's going to be left with. Let me read Psalm 68, 4 through 6. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is Yahweh and rejoice before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious live in a scorched land. What does it mean to be a father? It means you also have the wisdom to handle wealth. It also means you have the wisdom to handle influence. So I'm just going to tell you this is very practical. It's time to get your budgets in line. How do you know what God wants to add to you if you don't even know what you have? Very practically, Abraham was a man of wealth, and God multiplied his wealth. And it says, we're the sons of Abraham. Abraham believed God is who he says he was, and now from a New Testament perspective, we carry that same faith because we believe God is who he says he is. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I want you to stand up with me. There's a lot more to this message. But here's the beautiful thing. I don't need to be the one that preaches it to you. The Holy Spirit does. I left it somewhat vague because my challenge to you is strengthen yourself in the Lord. Empty yourself of your own strength. Go back to him. Call for the ephod. Get into a place of worship. Get into a place of prayer. Get into a place submitted to the presence of the Lord. In that place, you're going to discover the wisdom that you need. You're going to discover who you are. And he's going to preach to you. So every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, you said you are the fatherless to the fatherless. And you release people from an orphaned spirit by putting them into places of homes, of fathers. Just right where you're at right now, would you just ask the Holy Spirit, do I have any disappointment with fathers? Do I have any disappointment, no matter if you're a man or a woman in the room right now, do I have any disappointment from men who I look to be a cover, authority, a father figure, or even a husband. Just ask the Holy Spirit that. If he pinpointed something to you, here's what I want you to do. Release it to the Lord. The promise of the Father is this. I will be your father. I will lead you out of what's made a prison of your heart and your memories and even your body, and I'm going to bring you into a place of prosperity, a sonship.
if that's you right now, to say as an act of my will, I release every man from the debt I feel they owed us. And instead, I look to you, Father God, to heal my heart. I release this to my Father. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fill this room right now, that you would touch specifically every man, every male, child, teenager, and adult. And would the Spirit of the Father be restored to them fully? Would you, Lord Jesus, descend your Spirit that in this next 30 days, everyone would come into and enter into authentic manhood because they're having an encounter with you and the Father. I just bless every woman in the room right now. You're powerful. You're beautiful. You're needed. You're a part of this. Holy Spirit, have your way. We just thank you, God, that we have no need of any other father other than you. And so we just declare this right now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.